yes, these are extraordinary leaders, but arguably what they have done that is so brilliant is to build an organization that enables great people, many great people, everybody to use their brains. They just started the job, right? And so it's almost like, you know, just sit down, be quiet, learn the job. Is that what we really want? I mean, we've got someone who's thinking differently. We've got someone who would look at a job and say, I've never done this before. Why do you do it that way? Right? But what happens when we do what I just said? Why do you do it that way? We're like, well, that's the way we do it here, right? Basically get in line and do the thing that we told you to do. Our brain doesn't deal in absolutes. It deals in relativity, right? So actually we only need a little bit more information than we had before to already feel a little bit better about it. So helping people understand their brain understand I'm feeling this way actually because my brain is designed this way and a part of me needs to start to experiment amongst change and uncertainty start to explore because when there is no answer it means that I can play a little bit here and perhaps create some of my future Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. We're going to be looking today at finding that hidden edge just getting that step ahead of the rest. And in particular, not so much ahead of the rest, but ahead of everything that is happening around us. One of the things that we talk about a lot on the Connected Leadership Podcast is navigating the change that we're going through and we talk about uncertain times. I want to explore that a little bit more today with my guest, but with a view to how we can, as leaders, ensure that our teams are able to respond to that uncertainty in the most positive way, that we take them with us when there are challenges to be faced, and also look after ourselves. So I'm joined by someone that I've had the pleasure of knowing for a number of years, I'd like to call a friend of mine, but also a colleague because we work together on a brilliant program that she runs, which is called The Edge, and I deliver on that every year, and I'm very proud to do so. So it's always nice when you have that personal relationship that can that, that can move into a professional relationship rather than the other way around, as it often happens. She's the uh, managing director and founder of Symbia, a leadership and professional development company. She's the author of The Hidden Edge, and she's an expert in human behavior and hidden psychology, which I always feel like I'm a little bit on my toes. I have to be on my toes when I talk to her because I know she's going to pick up on something. So we're going to talk about getting that edge for change. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, Jodie Rogers. Thanks very much. Happy to be here. Oh, it's great to have you on. I emailed you last week and said, I haven't had you on the podcast yet, have I? And you said, yes, I've been waiting for the invitation. (laughs) (laughs) And what I didn't say is I I was going to reply and say, well, I was surprised you didn't say something. (laughs) Um, But so apologies for the long delay, but sometimes it's just the right time for a conversation. And this just felt like it because it has come up in so many of these conversations. We talk about we're living through uncertain times. We talk about disruptive change. We talk about uncertainty in the marketplace. Restructuring comes up time and time again. and. I think, you know, we've had lots of little conversations on the podcast about this. 
it was important to look at it all in one go, but from this particular perspective of not just how do you deal with it in terms of the relationships you build or how do you deal with it in terms of in the moment, but how do you protect yourself moving forward? And, you know, your whole area and the whole point of the edge as a program is professional development, which is a space, of course, we both work in. And sometimes maybe we don't stop often enough to think, why do we do professional development? And this is exactly why we do it, to position ourselves to be resilient, to be robust and to move through this change. So let's start by looking at, you know, I've mentioned a few things very really at a high level, but what do you find is trending in terms of the topics that leaders and organisations are focused on at the moment when they look at professional development? Where do they want to upskill? Where do they, what do they want to understand better? And, and how has it been changing in recent yeah, so we've definitely seen uh, a number of trends actually in the marketplace and, you know, we can't forget the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, I think we continue to get requests really for how do we navigate uncertainty and change, but not just moments of change, but ongoing and continuous change. How do we help people still show up and perform even when there is uh, pressure and stress when people are overwhelmed. And a, a big one, I think, in the last 18 months is how do we help people choose their priorities and defend their focus? Because there's way too much to do and there's not enough time to do it. And we need to get better really at managing that because at the end, what a lot of our clients are noticing is more and more burnout and more and more um, people are struggling with the capacity that they have. And I, a big part of that, I think, is an inability to say no, because we actually feel like we want to help that we want to be able to do all of the things that are asked of us but we have finite time and resources so actually a big part of leadership is making choices and we always say the most important part of the strategy is what you're not going to do and that's the part that we forget about <laughs> so it sounds to me and and this would back up a lot of the conversations that I seem to have had recently is that there's a growing interest in what are often called, and a lot of people, including me, don't like this term, but often called the soft skills. Mm -hmm. uh, but there is an increase in interest in them. The phrase that you used just there that really resonated with me was defend their focus. Yeah. You know, what I guess we might in old money call time management. Workshops. So a, a few of the things that you touched on, I think, probably have evolved from when I was in corporate life and went on, was sent on training courses on stress management. Stress management is now perhaps well-being and mental well-being. Time management, you've talked about defending focus and, and avoiding distractions. How much are soft skills, do you see a rise in interest in these uh, life skills, in these uh, less technical areas and how have they evolved over the last two or three decades from when perhaps I was in that space to, to what's being taught now? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you kind of switched out soft school skills for life skills there, Andy, because Nikki Perfect, who's one of our trainers at Symbia, she's an ex-crisis and hostage negotiator. She talks about the, these being life-changing 
and life-saving skills. And I think that's really important because obviously in her world, she literally was saving lives. But even in the corporate world, it is our communication skills. It's our ability to read a room, to empathize, to influence, right? Your expertise areas. These are the how of business. You get to a certain point in your career and development where once you've kind of mastered the what, there's nowhere else to go except the how. And when you think of people, if you think back to people that have influenced you in your career, if you think to past bosses, if you think of people who've had a positive impact, it's not what they've done. It's how they've actually done it. That fundamentally makes the difference. And this is where emotional and social intelligence comes in, right? Your ability to navigate tension and conflict in the workplace is not going to be based on the PowerPoint that you created. It's going to be based on the subtleties and nuances of what you understand of emotion and human behavior, other people's needs, not just your own needs. The how, the soft skills, the life-changing skills, quite frankly, the hard skills, this is the difference between being effective and impactful in your business and in your career than just being someone who shows up and does the job. It's really important that you've said that. I had a conversation yesterday with the director of a professional services firm. And I've always, in my experience, the training in professional services, particularly in law firms and accountancy, I think to a large degree, tends to be the technical focus Mm -hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and understandably, people are, are, are focused on getting the qualifications and moving up the levels. And there seems to be a disregard to a large degree of the how skills and you know the influencing skills, the business development skills and so forth until much later in the development, late 20s, early 30s, looking at, at oh, my God, I want to make partner and I don't know how to do these things. Mm-hmm. But actually he was saying that, as a firm, they're very different and they couple the two from the very beginning. And I wonder if that's starting to seep through and that people are now starting to look at these non-technical skills, the life skills, as I said, with a more more gravitas, more credibility. But you know what? I've smiled there when you said non-technical skills because I literally had just written that down because one of our pharma clients calls them non-technical skills. And I've said to them, I think you're doing that a disservice by just, it's not technical. (laughs) I mean, there's so much more than the absence of something. It's the presence of emotional and social intelligence. You know, like we've talked about the ability to influence, the ability to understand and empathize and communicate with clarity and make uh, decisions despite ambiguity, to be brave um, in how you lead and how you move forward. And even the labeling of non-technical skills just absolutely undermines and doesn't give justice to what the work is. And one thing I want to pick up on as well, when you talked about, you know, time management, which would have been the old definition, I think it's a really interesting point. And language is powerful and labels matter. And actually, where we go wrong is when we think that we are managing time, because actually what we're managing is ourselves. Self-management and self-leadership is the thing that makes a difference. And recognizing where the locus of control is, what you have autonomy over and responsibility for is so important. 
And it's a critical session that we run is um, on self-leadership. And a big part of that is people think we're going to tell them how to be leaders, but no, what we're going to really show them is you're abdicating responsibility in certain areas of your life and in your career that you actually are showing up as a victim in and you need to be the protagonist and you need to be the author and you own certain things and have certain responsibility and people are looking to you whether you have whether you're leading 15 people or just the person that sits beside you looks to you for advice but it's important that we have accountability and responsibility around our careers irrespective of where we sit in the food chain it's important as well and and by the way if we can find the right term because i agree with you that non-technical skills doesn't work maybe it's self-development skills for, for the moment but if we take the scenario that i talked about where you focus on the the skills for your job rather than the skills for your career at the beginning and then you do the skills for your career then the people we're talking about uncertainty and change the people that are most exposed to that, most at danger from that, and least able to respond are those with the less experience. And, and they're the people at the beginning of their careers. They're the most, the ones in need of those skills early on. So as people come into the workplace, we should be teaching the, them these self-leadership techniques, shouldn't we? And focusing from the very beginning, creating leaders before they're expected to be leaders so that when they evolve into the role, rather than find themselves there and not knowing what to do. And uh, absolutely. And, you know, it's almost like when you get to a certain part in your career, you don't know how intuitive and how natural certain things have become to you, but that they actually have been learned. And this is a great thing about these skills and about emotional and social intelligence. And the competencies are learned and learnable, um, which is brilliant, right? Because it means there's so much potential out there. But um, if we're always focusing on the what and we're not actually putting as much emphasis on the how, then those things won't happen. And some examples... A really simple way to do it for leaders is when you're in a meeting with a team, if you have more junior people after that meeting, you you do 15 minute debrief where you decode. The reason I said this when they said that is because I'm trying to influence this and I know that that thing is of value to them. But if you don't sit and kind of pull back the curtain They'll never know because there isn't really a book on it, the subtleties of uh, navigating the political landscape of your company. That book hasn't been written. You'd probably be a millionaire if you could write it. (laughs) Book number seven, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've only just seen book number six go on Amazon in the last uh, few days. So we'll we'll have a pause on book number seven just, just, (laughs) just for the moment. We've talked a lot about uncertainty uh, and so forth but let's put some context around it what do we mean by that because there's so much that happens that can be disruptive in the workplace what sort of things are you seeing that's really causing your clients to think twice to worry about their careers to worry about their teams 
And how are leaders and organizations responding to that? Yeah, so you can look at it in a number of different ways. At the kind of macro level, we have obviously the geopolitical unrest. We have economical challenges across the world. We have supply chains breaking down. We have commodity prices increasing. This has a massive impact on just how we do business, the pressure and strains that most teams are under. And we at Symbia, we generally work with them, big corporate audiences that are in the coal face of business and um, and then beyond that we have of course in a post-pandemic world and um, many companies restructuring so what does it mean what is required really to operate in this new world and as we've seen people didn't flood back to the workplace so offices are changing and instead of six offices in one location there's only one office because a lot of people are remote working and we see in the environment where we need to compete and businesses need to continue to grow and brands want more market share and really we're trying we're doing that with less resources because as we restructure that ultimately means less people but the ambitions are increasing right the scores on the doors are only getting bigger and so the pressure that we're under becomes much more intense and in my previous life Andy I worked inside the corporate machine and worked in market research so a very close understanding of branding and marketing and business and so I've been a leader in the inside. I know what it feels like to be sandwiched between the pressures on you as a leader to deliver to the business and the wants and the needs of your team. And, and really, the team, we all in uncertainty, right? And the uncertainty is, we don't know, is another country going to go into war? Or is inflation going to continue to increase? We've all noticed the size of food even if the price doesn't increase, that block of cheese that was 100 grams is now 55 grams. And we can feel it. We can see it, right? So navigating the big changes in the world that we can't control. And then the other changes that are happening in our companies, like CEOs changing or our bosses changing or acquisitions and mergers are happening a lot more right now in the kind of unrest of the economic environment. So... Actually, what people need in that moment is really fascinating because we have a tendency to think that we need to change just needs the land, that restructure needs the land. And, you know, they say in six months, it's never six months, it's usually about 18 months. So we have this extended period of uncertainty, which is really difficult to get comfortable in. Why? Because our brains are designed to notwithstand uncertainty because uncertainty breeds hesitation and hesitation increases your likelihood of becoming prey to a predator. Of course, those threats don't exist anymore, but we still have the same hardware that we used to have. Now, what's interesting about the brain, I love neuropsychology, is that our brain doesn't deal in absolutes. It deals in relativity, right? So actually, we only need a little bit more information than we had before to already feel a little bit better about it. So uh, helping people understand their brain, understand I'm feeling this way, actually, because my brain is designed this way. And a part of me needs to start to experiment amongst change and uncertainty, start to explore, because when there is no answer, it means that I can play a little bit here and perhaps create some of my future. Now, that takes a bit of experience. It takes a bit of bravery. It takes a, a different skill set. But 
a lot of the work we do with people is reframing how they think about change and how they think about uncertainty. Because here's the truth. There's always been change and uncertainty. Nobody has ever had a crystal ball. It just feels like there's even more now than there used to be. What there is now is more information, more media, more social media. So we are more acutely aware of the uncertainty than we were before. But then actually you need to think about your media habits. How are they impacting your well-being? Um, and how is the gossiping at the coffee machine impacting your well-being? You know, and what are the things that are in with within your control that can help you um, navigate change? And so, in the work that we do, we don't we're not in the business of inspiring people, which sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But you know, inspiring people is wonderful, but it lasts about twenty four hours. What you need is to be able to decode what you're sharing with them into practical exercises and tools, so that they can embed it in their daily lives and start to um, affect a behavior change of sorts. You know, so that's what we believe is really important when it comes to change. So what I want to do then is dig into what you do. And I'm hesitant doing this, but I think it's really important here. I never want the Connected Leadership podcast to become advertorial. So this, although I will happily say I highly recommend the EDGE program to any leaders who are listening to this, I've seen the impact, I've seen the results. They are, are worth looking at. That's not what this is about. What I want to do is understand how you put together the EDGE program in order to have this impact and equip people to manage this change. You've mentioned one of the elements, but what are the different elements and how do they fit in to this overall piece of making sure that people are able to go through that 18-month period of restructuring, are able to ride these socio-political changes and deal with sudden impact uh, of, of a supply chain disappearing and so forth in a much stronger way so what are the different elements and how do they help you reach that end goal yeah it's a great question look the first thing i'll say is i don't know about you but certainly in the last couple of years we've had oh can we have a resilience webinar and can we have a change webinar and can we have a well-being webinar yes you can but you know one hour having a good chat about something isn't actually going to really move the needle on what it is you're trying to do so um look we do lots of different things but the way we designed the edge was for behavior change and when you if you genuinely want behavior change that needs to be ongoing right people need um, a container within which that they can learn and they are, are on a journey where the information gets layered and they get to practice and they get to embed and they get to relearn and unlearn and all of those great things and so what I'll say, the edge actually came about because of our clients. I would love to say I'm a genius <laughs> and I created this because I had this amazing idea one night at 8 p.m. And we were starting, like you, Andy, we were getting the same requests over and over. How do we help people navigate uncertainty? I need my team to perform, but they're really stressed out, et cetera, et cetera. And we were on a big cascade by a client and we were talking about how the skills that we've just been chatting about for the last kind of 10, 15 minutes, they are not specific to one function, one country, one industry, one company. These are skills that quite frankly 
the whole global workforce needs in order to be successful in today's business landscape. Um, and so the gauntlet was kind of laid down by um, a head of L&D, um, Sarah from Unilever, who had said to us, because we need to do so, upskill so many people, this needs to be really affordable and really scalable. Um, and historically, if we're honest, right, professional development work in corporates isn't particularly cheap. And so that was a gauntlet that had been thrown down. How do we do this in a way that is affordable and scalable? And so the program that we've created is deliberately uh, low cost but high impact. How did we make it high impact? We cherry picked and we went out to find the best of the best in their fields, experts, one of which is you, Andy. That's why we've chosen you, right? Six books, but you've been on public stages. You've been flown all around the world. I don't know anybody else who knows strategic influence and relationships, all of these, the, this amazing topic as well as you do. And we wanted to design it in a way that actually wow, look at that lineup of people. I want to be on this program. The other thing that's, that personally, we, did, we didn't realize how beneficial that this was going to be was actually putting people together. So increasing thought diversity and cultural diversity and company diversity, where we have Johnson & Johnson in with Google and with Unilever and with all of these different companies, where you actually get to realize that all of the things that you think are wrong with your company are not unique to you. You're all struggling with the same challenges. And so we sat back and went, okay, Based on where we are today, if we were to design the learning journey that we believe really is going to make a difference and shift the needle for people today, what would we do? And so we've realized that there are four fundamental, important phases that we need to bring people through in the journey. And the first one is really about the inner game right? About thoughts, feelings, beliefs, values, this phase we call enhancing mindsets, right? And that's the E off the edge. So the edge is an acronym. And enhancing mindsets is actually about self-leadership, right? So people get access to the mental fitness course where they learn about the neuropsychology behind how our thinking impacts our actions, our decision-making, decision-making, etc. And that we have live sessions that happen once a month and because the other challenge I mean let's be honest it's like okay 2023 we spent a long time at home and working from home and then doing a virtual program the one thing that people don't want to do anymore how do we do that um, in an engaging way and as you will know Andy the brief to all of our trainers has to be you're competing with emails with me instant messages with the distracted world of too much work and not enough time and we have to be so damn good at what we do that people just can't help but listen which is why the sessions are extremely dynamic and interactive and, and very practical so you're literally in there doing stuff and applying things immediately so that you can get live feedback but so the other challenge it was a, a lot of challenges we had to overcome was but by the way all of these people are really overwhelmed and don't have any time for learning it's like right okay so we've made it two hours a month. That's it. Two hours a month, live session. There's 10 sessions. You've got to turn up to seven out of 10 in order to be certified. 
And that was delivered. But the really interesting thing that's happened in this program is give people less and they want more. They started to ask for toolkits. They started to ask for, oh, can we have a follow-up session? As as you know, Andy, we now do office hours, one hour, no content, ask me anything. You get time with the trainer to be coached on whatever your core challenges are. And then they started to ask for pre-thinking and they started to ask for wrap-up emails. And it's brilliant, right? Brilliant learning is give people as little as possible and then let them ask for more. And the the participants, we're going into our third year, which kicks off in February, and they've kind of co-created this by telling us what they want and then us going further. So anyway, that was the E of Enhancing Mindsets. We also cover off uncertainty and agility. We have an amazing expert, and Dr. David Wilkinson, who has done just fascinating things in his life, and he is an expert in ambiguity. And that's a very experiential session, which um, is quite emotive, where some people get very excited and some people get very frustrated as they <laughs> learn how they actually show up and change, which is often different than how we hope we're going to show up and change. So that's enhancing mindsets. Driving performance is all about critical thinking, getting in the helicopter, we asking the right questions in the right way at the right time, or are we just moving into execution mode? No point in getting in your Ferrari and going 100 miles an hour if you have not looked at the map and you do not know where you're going or why you're going there. Priority setting and focus is also a really important session. And as you see, we're layering on top of each other. The first was all about going within and driving performance is about the skill sets and how you utilize those in order to know where to focus and how to defend your focus which is a very nice way of teaching people how to say no in an emotionally intelligent way and um, and then we have stress and performance that's delivered by Aldo Kane who um, an ex-commando marine sniper and if anybody knows how to handle stress it's him and he's taught us all of his tricks and of course there's you and you're in the red zone Andy the growing influence which is okay we've gone within We've looked at our toolkit and our ability to communicate and self-manage. And now let's go look outwards. What are the relationships that we have? And how much are we giving value to other people in our networks, which is something that you always bring to the conversation? It's not all about you. How can you actually help other people? And that's, I mean, and, and that's a really important session. Then we have navigating conflict and tension, which is with Nikki Perfect, ex-crisis and hostage negotiator. Um, and this is all growing influence. And then we move into final session, expanding impact. So now that you've done that, how do you elevate your game? How do you amplify? And by the way, how do you take other people on it? And in 2023, you cannot have a leadership program without um, covering inclusion and diversity, which is, again, a very impactful session. And then we have fostering innovative thinking. So getting people to think creatively about uh, about how they generate innovation in their business. And that's brought uh, by Tendai from Strategizer. Those guys are famous for creating the business model canvas, amongst other things. And then we close out with Des Christoffi, who's a leadership and coach and mentor export expert. And this is all about now that you have got all of these skills, now that you have grown and developed, how can you actually pass the mantle on to others? How can you grow and develop other people. And that's the three minute version of the end. <laughs> <laughs> 
Create a greater impact as a mentor. Discover how to find the right person to mentor you and make sure that mentoring thrives in your organization with the Financial Times Guide to Mentoring. Andy Lapata and Dr. Ruth Gotian's new book comes out in May and is available to pre-order now. And thank you for the kind words, by the way. And, and I know how hard you push me to deliver. So I know that the standards that you set are probably above anyone else I work with, I have to say. It's always both a a pleasure and a nightmare working with you. You stretch me to my limits, which is good because it makes me better at at what I do. In terms of what we've been talking about, we can see how all of these different areas sort of tie in together and can work together to help build that resilience and that ability to adapt to change, the ability to move forward irrespective of what's happening around you. I know you've had some tremendous impact with the program over the two years, I think it is, that it's been running so far. What sort of results have you been seeing? What are some of the key headlines of that? Yeah, great. Um, And actually, it's a really good question because I get quite frustrated by um, any type of learning or intervention that can't show tangible impact and I think that's my old researcher days (laughs) but have we got significant difference across any measures oh hold on we weren't measuring anything so we have been really clear on when people are onboarded onto the program you have to apply by the way we don't let just anybody in because it is the caliber really matters and you have to complete a benchmark, uh, benchmark and survey where we ask people to um, rate themselves on core competencies and a number of other measures. And we get them to do that halfway through and we also get them to do it at the end. But not only do we do that, because, you know, claimed we can all say that we think we're brilliant at something, but whether we're actually any good at it is needs to be objective. So we also speak to their line managers. So line, we're asking for behavior changes in people. And so when we look, for example, we have so much data, it would make your eyes bleed. And what I can tell you is when we look at the core competencies and we ask people, how much do you agree with the statement that you are comfortable navigating uncertainty and change? Let's take that, for example. Then you can say strongly agree, agree, neutral, um, disagree, strongly disagree. So in research terms, we talk about the top two box. So the people that have strongly agreed or agree with that statement. In January, before the program started, we had 26% of people that uh, agreed or strongly agreed with that statement. In June, we had 42% of people that agreed with that. So a 16% increase. And critical thinking and questioning, we had an 18% increase. Ability to prioritize and focus, 14%. And managing stress and performance off the scale, 26% increase. Um, and then when we go to line managers, I'm going to be really honest, Andy. This year was the first time that we actually engaged line managers. Last year was the pilot and the next next year we're going to enter our third program, third year. I was a bit nervous because I thought, what if? <laughs> what if it's all in our heads? What if it's actually not seen and felt? And the results are even stronger with line managers they can see the difference they can feel the difference and and so and we have lots of testimonials of people um talking about the program and by the way look of course ask someone who created the program is it any good yes it's absolutely amazing and what I will say is we're all in different places in our career and we have different wants and needs right so 
it's kind of horses for courses. What one person is going to love in the program is different from what other per- someone else is going to love on the program. And, and I think that's what's great about the variety of topics, the variety of trainers. Everybody has different styles and, and different ways that they actually run the sessions. And I think that's important for speaking to learning needs. But ultimately, we're really happy with the results. We have 98% of people would recommend it to a friend. And we have 100% of line managers have seen significant positive shifts in their people. Um, And yeah, I'm going to stop because I'm just going to keep saying numbers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I was really interested. You said at the beginning of that answer that you you have to apply and people have to complete an assessment to, to come on the program. What do you think? is the the mindset and the what are the mindset the qualities the characteristics that make someone ready to learn and ready to grow and how much of that comes naturally and how much of that can a leader encourage and bring out of someone who might not show those characteristics initially that's a brilliant question i love that question i think there's a couple of different things and we make people apply deliberately because look, this is the only thing that we do at Symbia that is open, right? That uh, from people from, of course, we screen and we want uh, corporates in there with other corporates and all of the rest. Like we don't have Joe Blogs, who has a shoe shop down the corner on the edge. Not that we're against it, by the way, but we want people that have similar challenges and are in navigating a similar landscape to be together. And um, but if we're honest, so we do a lot of. 95% of the work we do is private, right? We get a brief from a client. Can you run this workshop or can you create and deliver this? But what we will say, um, which might be a bit controversial, but some companies, not all of them, they're a wee bit spoiled. And so they're not always grateful to be on a learning program. Like, oh, who put me on this? I don't have time. I'm too busy, right? And learning is one of those things. Covey's matrix, it's always going to be in the important but not urgent section, right? And so the reason why we have the application is because if you're not going to put any effort into your application, there is no way you're actually going to show up and engage in the program. And we would rather just not have you there and we're not interested in your money. And so what we're looking for is people who are genuinely excited who feel like I want to be in there. Um, And again, it's not just any other program. You're in there with execs from around the world. I got a question about this this morning from a client. We have two tiers. So this was initially designed for senior managers, right, who aren't yet directors, don't have a team of 10, but they maybe have one or two line reports. But in the process of socializing it through different businesses, when we're speaking to decision makers who are VPs or general managers or heads of HR, they all got excited went, hold on a minute. What do you mean it's just for managers? Can I not get on that? And as you know, we now have another track, which is just for senior leaders. It's the same learning journey, but the conversations that happen are different, right? Because someone, a manager who's talking about change is usually talking about the change of my role and the impact of who's my new boss going to be. Senior people talking about change, they're talking about the complexities of having to lead a restructure, which is very different. We want to make sure there's psychological um, safety for people to be able to talk at the level that they need to. 
And so you get nominated and you get an invitation to apply. And then it's up to you, right? We are teaching autonomy right from the beginning, accountability and responsibility. It's up to you to win your seat on the edge. And by the way, it's certified by the Institute of Leadership Management. So it's worth something. You actually get a certificate at the end of it. And and then... I'll be honest, I scare people a little bit at the beginning (laughs) with lots of love and a bit of a kick up the ass where I speak to people and say, this is not any old program. You cannot show up here and secretly do your emails. I am trained in body language. And to be quite frank, we all know when people are doing something different, you're either completely here or don't bother turning up, but also We deserve in a very complex world, in a distracted world, where we're always trying to do seven things at once, we deserve two two hours a month to be focused and to be focused just on ourselves and on our growth and on our development. And to answer your question more completely, you need to have a mindset for learning. If you're turning up going, I kind of know everything about this. What's this person going to teach me? You're absolutely right. We're going to teach you nothing because you're not open to the fact that there might be something new for you here to learn. So actually having a learning mindset, having a certain amount of humility, having curiosity and being willing to be open-minded enough to suspend your judgment and go with the experience and then apply what you're learning. That's what we're looking for. Brilliant. So I had started a little list towards the end there of, of these qualities just to draw them out. And you, you brought those in at the end as well. So from what you said, you've got to be proactive. You need to be focused. You need to be excited. You need to be willing to learn. You need humility, curiosity and have an open mind. And that creates that learning mindset. So those are the things we should be looking for in recruitment anyway, aren't they? The, if, if you're looking for people to, to come on your team. It's interesting that earlier on you said that you don't, you, you know, you, you don't do motivation, and I understand that completely. I always talk about three stages of learning that I try to build into my programs, which is motivation, which is getting people to understand the need to make a change, that, yeah. that, that there's a value in it. That's where I see motivation fitting. Then the learning and then so equipping to make the change. So wanting to make the change, equipping to make the change, and then embedding the change. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think that a lot of that comes in with your program. I'm going to move away from the edge for the last few minutes. As I said, yeah. I don't want it to be just about the edge. Um, Let me I, say I, one thing, Randy. Yeah, sure. Um, I didn't say we're not into motivation. We're not into inspiration. Inspiration. Sorry. Although, to be yeah. honest, we do inspire people, but that's not yeah. the goal. <laughs> but that's, it, it's not an inspirational talk exactly. that you don't do anything with, which is exactly the same. You know, I, I want, ideally, I'd rather work with a, with a client over a year so that we can make that, go on that journey and embed a difference rather than get people excited about something but not be able to walk them through the change that that excitement leads to. I know there's one thing that we've touched on that is really important to you with your psychology background. And we've talked about stress a couple of times in brief and resilience a couple of times in brief. I know mental well-being is an important area for you. It fits in with what I wrote about in Just Ask as well. And I talk about invulnerable leadership. So let's talk a little bit about that. How do we create teams that can be more resilient through these uncertain times and this change that we've been talking about? 
but that men that manage their mental well-being at the same time and that we can keep keep an eye open for each other and recognize when people are being overburdened risk of burnout and so forth yeah great yeah you're absolutely right it's a topic that's very close to my heart i've written a whole book on it the hidden edge and i have a i have um a kind of very clear point of view on this and what is it when it comes to thinking about well-being if we're honest when we talk about well-being where our brain goes to is ill health generally burnout, anxiety, overwhelm and stress, or yoga classes and a good comfortable chair. Um, And I really want to encourage us to look at the full spectrum where we have well-being in the middle, right? And let's just say you're kind of at a zero plus one plus two with well-being. We have emotional and mental ill health on one side, which is your kind of minus three, minus five, et cetera. But then we have this whole other place of mental fitness where you're in plus two, plus four, plus five. And I think where we go wrong as a society is we over-focus on getting people to kind of one and two and zero and then put a lot of energy into trying to drag people up from minus three, minus five, which, by the way, is extremely important. I have a number of people on my family in my life that struggle in this space it's underfunded and it doesn't get enough attention but here's my provocation what if like in the medical world and physical health we focused as much on enhancing mental and emotional fitness instead of just focusing on illness. In the 1970s, they made an inextricable link between lung cancer and smoking. They knew it was correlated, but finally it was causal and they couldn't argue with it. Uh, Around the world, that created a paradigm shift. And specifically in the UK and Europe, that's when they decided to ask the question, how do we prevent people from ending up in the healthcare system? This is when the whole fitness exercise industry was born, really. And we started to educate people on nutrition, on maladaptive behaviors like smoking, drinking, etc., and encouraging people to exercise. We have yet to apply the same thinking to the well-being space. And so why do I believe so strongly in this? Because let's face it, we are all, just like we're all going to um, get a cold and get physically ill, we are all going to slip down the slide of mental and emotional ill health. But here's the problem. When you're physically ill, can you take tablets and do physio? Yes. When you're mentally and emotionally challenged, you do not have the capacity to learn new skills, new tools, and new techniques. You're in survival mode. The best time to learn those skills and techniques is when you're at zero, plus one, or plus two. So if we can actually enhance people and give them the tools and the exercise, help people understand and navigate their thinking, help them understand what thinking traps are and how to get out of them, how our neuropsychology has an impact on our focus and our decision-making and our belief system. If we can do that and give access to people in a way that's fun, engaging, genuinely interesting where you do little demos and experiments and make it appealing to people they can learn the skills that they can then use and access later when it really matters 
So as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> yeah, I, I can hear a whole other podcast in there. I, I, and I completely agree with you. It's part of the uh, the debate in the UK, but it's such a small part of it when it needs to be a big part, about you know the challenges with the NHS in that we don't yeah. invest enough in prevention rather than cure, in, in well-being rather than dealing with ill health. Uh, and as you say, it's just the same for mental health as it is for physical health. And just as you may be more robust and stronger if you jog regularly when you're fit, rather than trying to recover from being un- from an unfit position when you don't have the energy to do that, it makes a sense from a well-being perspective as well. So, and and that ties in with the resilience that we were talking about as well, and with everything we talked about about being able to adapt. Because if you're physically fit and mentally fit, you can adapt to whatever comes your way. So, I started off today, uh, the day we're recording this, with a Pilates uh, session, and I'll often go for a walk or I'll do Pilates. I've talked about this on the podcast before, and. For a long time, I felt guilty about doing that in working hours. And then I said to myself, no, this is my work because I need that fitness. I need the physical fitness and I need the mental fitness in order to do my job to to, to the best degree. And it's that mindset shift and understanding that it is part of that journey that's key. Jodie, thank you so much for joining me. We could go into a whole other discussion on this. Maybe that's for another time. I'm also having been far too lax in inviting you onto the podcast i realized i've also been very lax in inviting some of my fellow edge uh, trainers onto the podcast so i'm gonna take steps to remedy that in the new year as well and let's invite some of them on because i know there's some really interesting people with great perspectives who can come on and share them on the connected leadership podcast but in the meantime thank you very much for joining me i hope you've enjoyed it Oh, I've absolutely loved it. Thank you. And I look forward to the next one, which will be very soon. Won't it will indeed. <laughs> Thanks, Jodie. Thanks so much to Jodie for joining me. Uh, yeah, I have been lax in not inviting her on for a while because I always have an interesting conversation with her. Sometimes when you're too too, too close to someone, you, you you sort of miss that that obvious, obvious great guest that's, that's right under your nose. So, Jodie, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I, I am always very wary regular listeners may note that I don't I'll mention a book someone's written and we will talk about what's in the book but I try and make sure that we're serving our listener rather than over serving our guests who just you know I get so many inquiries from people who've got something to promote and want to come on but I just felt that talking about the edge which is a fantastic program would give us a way to address this issue from a practical perspective and see how it's put together. And those different elements of the edge really do work in terms of understanding the different skill sets, the different insights, the different qualities that create that personal self-development journey, those life skills we talked about, the non-technical technical skills that will take us to another level and help us to deal with all of this change. What I'll do is I'll make sure that there's a link to the edge in the show notes so that you can have a look and you can see those different elements for yourself. And if that is something for you, your team, your employer, then I do encourage you to get involved. But That's for you to, ha- to have a look at. Uh, but whatever you do, join me again next week for another fascinating discussion on the Connected Leadership Podcast. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Connected Leadership Podcast. If you found this valuable, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and friends, share on social media, and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it. And of course, join us again soon for another interesting interview and great Connected Leadership tips.